Adventures of Words is brought to you by Audible. Try Audible free for 30 days and download any audiobook for free. For your free trial, go to www.adventureswithwords.com forward slash audible. Hello and welcome to Adventures with Words, where we explore storytelling in all its forms. I'm Rob. I'm Kate. And this week's another of our Bookplate Books discussion groups uh, in association with the Literature Society at the University of Essex. And we're discussing The Song of Achilles by Madeleine Miller. So... As per usual in these kind of podcasts, we are going to reveal a few spoilers. Well, there's there's one particular thing which, if you know the storyline, um, won't come as a big shock. But perhaps if you're not um, au fait with Greek myths, you won't know. Uh, but yeah, if you haven't, if you don't know the general story or you haven't read the Song of Achilles, you might want to listen to this after you have read the book. So going into this, I was a little bit nervous. It's a little bit out of my comfort zone. I haven't really read many of the Greek myths before. It was something that you're a bit more au fait with. Yeah, definitely. When I was little, I was absolutely obsessed with sort of myths and legends and things like that. Just, I think they're they're really good things for children to read. I think because they're they're short stories, but they're really interesting. They've got lots of really fun characters. They're very adventurous. Um, and when I was really little, I read sort of the Osborne book of Greek myths and legends sort of thing and then there, and there was a really good kind of cartoon strip book I can't remember the name of it unfortunately and then graduated to kind of the the versions by Roger Lonsling Green and then when I ran out of those I read all the Norse myths and legends by Roger Lonsling Green and so on and so on and so on so yeah I've read loads and loads of these and um when we were actually at the the book club uh, the book group meeting the other night I was saying to someone that the first sort of time that I heard the story of the Iliad and the Odyssey was not reading it um you know the the actual Iliad it was this fantastic version that Tony Robinson did on um children's BBC probably mm. about 25 years ago now or something and uh, absolutely did the most fantastic sort of telling aloud uh, and then that was made into books as well which which i then got and that he also did uh, thesis and the minor tour which was absolutely brilliant and i think i've still got those knocking around somewhere so I, it's something that i knew quite a lot about and have read numerous different versions of these stories so i was really excited to find out the way in which this was going to be done because i knew that it was a very different take on just sort of one section of the story really um, so i was a bit I said I was a bit nervous going in, but I have to say um, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I found it really easy to read, perhaps a bit too easy to read at times. We'll get to that <laughs> later on. But I think what I was worried about was lots of these funny names or lots of these characters that possibly mm-hmm. have a bit of baggage behind them. Yeah. It talks about uh, Odysseus, for example. Now, you don't really need to know much about him. I think it's all no. very much explained. But I was a bit worried that there's this whole mythology, this whole sort of backstory that I wasn't aware of. But I think for the book itself... It's very much, it's the song of Achilles. It's mm-hmm. Achilles, his life, but it's told by Patroclus. Patroclus. Patroclus, however we're going to call it. Patroclus, I'm sure I'm going to say this numerous ways all the way through. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I found it very easy to read. I found it very moving. I was pretty much enthralled 
it's quite a page turn. I read it very quickly. Yeah, I think quite a few people did. Um, Terry Jane, who's one of the sort of founding members of the group, I think read the whole thing in a day. Mm. Just said she was absolutely stunned by it. I mean, she was like moved to tears, sort of thing. Um, and I, a lot of people have said it is very moving. I think she she deals with that like as you say that kind of idea of um, the the kind of baggage of the characters very well. It's very accessible considering she's a, a classical scholar. Mm. Yeah, she doesn't come from a, a writing background she comes from a, a sort of um, classical literature background i think she she presents the characters in such uh, an easy to understand manner and it does have odysseus it does have all the kind of big greek kings who you know the feature in all the the sort of iliad story and i i knew who they were straight away because of having done that reread pre-reading if you like but I think if I had it, you would still get the idea of the character. You know, each each king has their own sort of certain characteristics. You know, has that. You know, they're certainly not necessarily three dimensional characters. Odysseus is one of the most rounded characters. Mm, yeah. But you know, like Ajax, his big thing is that he's really, really massive and very strong, but not very clever. Agamemnon is full of pride. Menelaus is kind of always have to has to play second fiddle to Agamemnon but as a result is actually quite nice and he's Odysseus's buddy and so but you can get all of that from the way that they're introduced as, as we go through the story and I, I thought that was great to be able to make it so accessible to the point where you wouldn't wouldn't have had to do any other research mm. any other reading whatsoever and you could still understand such a big cast of characters you could still get to grips with it really easily yeah, I didn't feel overwhelmed. I, I felt that I knew the characters and the story sort of zips along. And I, it was sort of believable. What I what I quite liked as well was the way that she, she must have had to decide at some point, how do you handle the gods? Because mm-hmm. you can't really ignore them in a story like this. No, and I mean, well, they're, they're incredibly important because the, the whole point about Achilles is he's uh, he's effectively uh, he's a demigod. Sort of demigod. He's, yeah. His mother is Thetis, the, who's sort of like a sea nymph, a, a sort of minor mm. goddess. So he's got this, uh, you know, difference about him. He's he's like like a classical hero, and they mm. they talk about the similarities between him and and people like uh, Hercules, yeah. for example. But that was interesting. Well, mainly for two reasons. The first was I, I like the way she dealt with the gods. They just felt like a normal part of the mm-hmm. story, a part of their lives. Yeah. You know, one part. Oh, a centaur trots trots in. You know, like oh. Okay. Yeah. And the way Thetis is handled. The only way, the only time that felt slightly jarring was when um, Achilles is at the very end. He's fighting the river god near Troy. Yeah. That, for me, that's the one time it didn't quite work. I'm not quite sure why. Perhaps it's because it wasn't so well rounded, so well described. I think with Thetis, that's Achilles' mother, where she appears, um, she's always quite clearly kind of prefigured, you know, that it always kind mm. of leads up to her appearance. And then she's described so sparingly. It talks a bit about her eyes. Um, mm. It talks about the way she speaks. That's the grinding um, and, of rocks, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and it's, it's sort of a one point, yeah, they describe it as like the, the grinding of the rocks under the sea as the, as the waves move over them. And the, I think there are a couple of different sort of similar metaphors that, that she uses. But apart from that, it doesn't really describe her appearance particularly. No. It's more the feeling 
that you get when she appears. The air changes, doesn't it? Or, yeah, yeah, it's sort of the feeling, and it's it's sort of coldness, like being underwater and so on. Whereas when Achilles fights the, the, the kind of god of the river outside Troy, it's sort of very sudden. And we've just been through this, you know, very realistic combat scene. So I think I thought that was why it jarred because we weren't expecting anything, mm. you know, supernatural to occur. You know, we'd, we'd been in Troy for 10, you know, however long, not 10 years. Well, no, it is 10 years, isn't it? It does that's, skip forward that's quite a bit much, at times, yeah. I, I think that's why I, mm. yeah, I found it a bit strange as well. I wasn't expecting that at all. Although, I mean, it is part of the original story, but I, that that mm. bit had, it, it, I'd sort of forgotten about that. It obviously didn't stand out to me as much. Perhaps it's because she doesn't take, yeah, she doesn't take as much time over the description. It's um, a very fleeting appearance. Yeah. It's probably over in a couple of pages, mm-hmm. I just thought, yeah. And then apart from that, yeah, you've got Chiron the centaur, but who again is, you know, his appearance isn't described particularly. It's Mm. more the way that he behaves towards um, Patroclus and Achilles. And then you've got just a very fleeting appearance of Apollo Mm. at one point. But that's it really, isn't it? The, the, The gods aren't really featured particularly heavily, but I suppose when they are featured, yeah, as you say, they're just kind of a part of everyday life. But then I think that's reflecting how the ancient Greeks did feel about the gods. You know, they they weren't distant. They felt that they could intervene at any time and you had to keep them happy. You gave them offerings. You thought of them. They lived in Greece. They lived on Mount Olympus. I think that's the thing, because when, like you said, Thetis, her sort of arrival is Mm. quite normally it's announced beforehand. I thought, oh, you know, there's a, a god who so can be walking amongst them. It'd be like a, a major event, sort yeah. of a, an earth-shattering, sort of, mm-hmm. well, like it would be today, I suppose. But yeah. it was just a normal part of their life. That they're they're around all the time. They're they're sort of watching, taking taking part, t- playing a role in the in the people's lives. And I quite like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, at one point, Thetis walks into uh, the hall of uh, Achilles' father, and people kind of keep their distance but they don't that Mm. you know that's fine and she goes in there and she sits down on the throne and and oversees the discussion and and that's just what happens people accept it people don't make a big fuss about it she just carries on and it actually says that being in those kind of ordinary surroundings she seems a little diminished Mm. so you know perhaps part of part of the the god's power is the sense of awe that people feel it's not you know they're not actually as astounding I mean, perhaps that's why the, those sort of gods appear in other stories. Like you've got Percy Jackson, mm. where you know it's the the character. They're all demigods, and they they talk about you know the, originally they haven't met their parents. These are the, the the pantheon of gods, but then they do start meeting them and they start interacting with them and and so on. And then you've got something like um, American Gods by Neil Gaiman, where you know, like you said, today, if you saw a god, it would be astonishing. Well, in American gods, the reason why we don't see them is because people don't believe in them enough anymore. Right, yeah. So they've all they've all gone to live in America because people, there's such an odd range of people oh, right. and America is so big that they can kind of hide there. Hmm. So they're just, they're kind of living out their days there, you know, just one or two people. You know, there's enough people who believe in them for them to still exist. <laughs> But yeah, so if anyone fancies reading that, I'd recommend that. But sorry, a bit of a tangent there. That's all right. Well, the idea of him, Achilles, being a demigod, I found quite interesting because mm. the thing that's hanging, that's what's hanging over him the whole time and yeah. almost defines who he is. That his mother, 
she's obsessed with his reputation, the legacy that he's going to leave behind, yeah. the, you know, the legend, mm-hmm. um, and how that how that sort of really does define what he can and can't do. Yeah, and it's a lot of pressure that you know. I think his his father obviously is generally proud of him, but his mother has this very specific vision. But she's also aware of his fate. That you know, if he makes a certain choice, this is what will occur. There's a prophecy, isn't there? Yeah, there's the prophecy which is referred to a couple of times. You know, if he if he does join in in this war, he will die, and in, and we're told that quite explicitly. And um, you know, she it's is this choice. She, she, is it better to hide and not take part, and then just do other things, and live a longer life, live a longer life, yeah. but perhaps do less do less heroic deeds or do you join in with this do you forge your reputation become a hero because you're you're taking part will win the war it's going out in a then blaze you of glory won't survive. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah you know so is it is it better to have the short life and the the eternal mm. reputation the honor the glory or is it better to be alive basically well the fact that we're talking about him uh, might give you a hint as to what happens but the book is it's the song of Achilles so it's mm. it's his story so mm. but the way the way this one's told is it's got you know quite a different narrator perhaps to the mm. ones you 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 read when you were growing up yeah i mean the the way that i read it was always with a, a sort of omniscient narrator mm. and it's always odysseus's story he's the the one that you follow he's he's the hero if you like and he's a very interesting character. He's very witty. He's a trickster. He's, you know, I'd, I'm a big fan of Odysseus. I think he's fascinating. And then uh, Achilles appears and he's normally portrayed as very arrogant. Hmm. Um, he's normally portrayed as quite egotistical. Um, he's he's a, portrayed as obsessed with his reputation. That's because of his uh, this prophecy, his mother, I presume? Or uh, but that, it's knows. just normally the way yeah. that he's described. Right. Um and then his companion is always with him, who is Patroclus. Mm. And he's sometimes seen as a bit spoilt when Agamemnon claims a particular slave girl that Achilles wants. Achilles sulks and refuses to take mm-hmm. part in the mm. fighting until Agamemnon gives her up and so on and so on. And it's, I, th- I thought it was really interesting to have it narrated in such a different way because it's narrated by Patroclus. Mm. who is his companion um so you get a completely different view of achilles and i'm I'm not always keen on a kind of like oh well this is what really happens sort yeah. of retelling but i get i mean obviously it's not historical it is myth and legend so i think it's that you know i can i can give her a bit more leeway but it's it's really interesting to get that view from someone who absolutely adores achilles and it, it gives you reasons why Achilles does the things he does. So the idea of you know his initial sort of portrayal as very arrogant is because he's simply very young, very confident. He's always been told he is the best warrior there has ever been, hmm. and it, it's true. He is. Um, you know, he, oh, sort of with Chiron, he said when it comes to fighting, Chiron says, "Well, there's there's nothing else I can teach you. You are the." best warrior that there is so when he sort of steps up when they when the greeks first all meet together he might well come across as arrogant but well, there's a moments where he, he's he why should he take orders from warrior. someone else yeah exactly things like that he's there almost to save them to finish the job yeah he is yeah and i think yeah that that's sort of a double-edged sword isn't it and i think patroclus doesn't always approve 
of the way that Achilles conducts himself. He mm. sometimes wishes that Achilles would do things for differently. Um, well, there's a moment where basically they're getting slaughtered. Yeah. And Achilles says, no, unless I get an apology, I'm not going to go and help them. Mm-hmm. Which ultimately leads to Patroclus's death. Yeah, it does. And Achilles is perhaps being a bit spoiled, but I think one of, one of the things that it makes clear is he's used to always getting his own way. He is clever. He is fast. He does, you know, get get things done for him all the time in a way that Patroclus never used to. And, you know, he's not used to that. So, you know, there's there's a sort of towards the beginning, Patroclus causes the death of this um, boy who's he's basically bullying him. And he's the, he's the son of a, a nobleman from his father's court. And he's exiled and he tells Achilles what he did. And Achilles says, well, why didn't you just lie? Mm. Why didn't, you, why didn't no. you say it wasn't your fault? And he realises that it wasn't that it wasn't that he'd accidentally caused the boy's death. It was the, his dad was so disappointed in him because he hadn't had the the um, thought to just lie about it and and you know had mm. a bit of gumption. So, it, but whereas Achilles would have instantly done that, it, he would have worked out. So he, he does come come at it from a very different point of view than Patroclus does, and I think sometimes. That means that he does things which actually aren't necessarily the best decision, like deciding not to fight until Briseis is returned. That's the the um, slave girl. But then it, you know it gives you a much more in depth perspective on on her as well. So rather than her just being someone that two men are fighting over, it creates a character for her. You actually get to see you know, what's happening the rest of the time, the Achilles development and that actually he can be very affectionate. He's not just arrogant and spoiled. It's just, he comes across that way at some point. So it's, I think it, I've, that was what I really liked about it. The way that you got that completely different viewpoint. I did like that different viewpoint because Patroclus is a, he's our narrator. Mm-hmm. There are a few moments where I wish he'd sort of like, I mean, they are head over heels in love with each other. Yeah, I'm sure Achilles is, gorgeous to look at but there are a few moments i was like all right mate i get it he's pretty fit <laughs> do you, do you think that was because as a heterosexual man it was about two gay young men well that didn't really bother me and i don't know it just sort of like but i think what that was because is at times you forget how young they are mm. I don't know. I had this vision. This is bizarre. I've seen Troy. So sometimes when you think of Achilles, you think, "Oh right, that's Brad Pitt." Yeah, but and who's clearly at least clearly 30, like he's older 35. than me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I totally forgot how young they were mm. at the start of the book. They were what eleven, twelve. Yeah, when when um, Patroclus first goes to be supposedly betrothed to Helen, so his dad's getting a bit mm. over enthusiastic. He's like ten. Yeah. And then when he gets exiled, he's about 12 and Achilles is about the same age. So when I was reading the, reading it through, I was a bit sort of like, oh, right, he's off again. I get it. So I'd forgotten how how young they were. Mm. And the hormones must be flying at that. You know, they are. Yeah, they are. exactly. And I, But the way that they're having, I guess, they're these very young men, very young boys being put in this situation to mm. basically go out and kill people. Yeah. They're sort of... Once I realised that, it sort of all clicked into place. Well, there there were a few kind of hints towards that. It does say things like, you know, when a when a boy is fourteen, he, you know, that's the time where he might get married and so on. Mm. Obviously, you do think, yeah, you know, it, it, we are talking what two and a two and a half thousand years yeah, ago, or something like, that, like yeah. that. You know, people died a lot younger. They did everything a lot younger. Mm. You know, when when 
boys it says about kind of when you're 12 you might start chasing the slave girls or it was mm. normal for boys that age to to have a bit of a relationship with another boy or whatever you know people considered that that was fine that was fair enough so yeah there is that kind of cultural difference which does make it seem a bit strange perhaps but no i think you're right that it is that like kind of teenage crush a kind yeah. of teenage infatuation and i'd forgotten how young they were i mean yeah. regarding their relationship i thought that was really well handled very sweet i hope the fact that it's two men doesn't put anyone off reading this no it really, really shouldn't should. it really shouldn't put anyone off because i think it's done so well and it's not it's not even an issue and i think part of that is because that that cultural thing mm. that it was culturally acceptable when um boys were sort of teenagers that they might they would have a male companion it's just where it becomes more unusual is that the relationship lasts yeah and it does say at one point that at some point the, the boy as they the boys as they grew up would then tend to marry a woman and carry on it says something about the greeks didn't like to see a man dominated by someone else Mm. sort of thing so it it only becomes unusual once they get a bit older but uh, yeah i know i think the way she writes about it is so good and it's it's never an issue at all it's just you know it's a case of kind of like kindred spirits there's something about they both find each other fascinating i think patroclus a lot of the time can't believe his luck really <laughs> yeah. that what you know that achilles would want to achilles even probably, just spend time with him he could have had his pick of anyone probably yeah yeah absolutely but yeah there's that thing where he says he says to his father he that um, patroclus is interesting which is which i mean what does what what does that even mean was you know i want i want interesting um, he's interesting he's not like anyone else he, he's piqued mm. his interest i suppose is the easiest way of saying it i think maybe, like maybe he sees something in him that other people yeah. don't well, I suppose he spent his whole life with men who were big and tough, and it's just all about fighting. And Patrick probably a lot of yes men is as actually well, yeah, yeah. Mm. He's whereas Patrick is a lot more thoughtful. He's honest. You know, he d- he wouldn't think to lie mm. about something. He's humble. Yes, I think Patrick um, puts himself down mm. a few too many times as well. He he doesn't think he can compare in any way to Achilles. And I think well, at the end when he's fighting, well. He can certainly handle himself, but for me, the only issue with Patroclus, I'm going to keep, I have to keep thinking every time I say this now. Um, <laughs> he's now he's our narrator, and you know yeah. from the start that he's basically going to die mm-hmm. because that's what sort of brings out the rage in Achilles. So, yes. I mean, I think you did. I think I think Terry Jane said that she did that. When it comes to the end, um, there are a few tears shed, mm-hmm. and it's a very moving ending. But for mm-hmm. me, I was worried about. How is this story going to carry on yeah. once Patroclus is dead? One, once is it going to switch to another narration, mm. which I didn't want because I was, re- I, you know, you grow fond of him. I didn't want anyone else to suddenly jump into someone else's head. No, that would have been weird. So I was quite worried as it, as it went on. How is this going to happen? Is the, the book can't just stop. Mm. No, I was a bit nervous about that as well. Um, then once I once I found out that Terry Jane had enjoyed it so much, then I was a bit more optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that it would be good. But yeah, no, I thought the way that that was handled was really good, actually, because obviously, the, as you said, the reason that Achilles has this rage and does go after Hector in the end is because um, when he's when he's refusing to fight, Patroclus basically says, look, if I put on your armour, I'll pretend to be you and you, you know, you, you sort the problem out and then you've, you know, people still will think well of you, but you haven't broken your promise of what you said. But that's a really dumb idea. 
Well, yeah, if you look at the story, I mean, Achilles, the best of all warriors, mm. and the way that Patroclus has described himself up to this point is basically hopeless. Yeah. You know, he just cannot fight. There's no point. There's no point trying. You know, he, that's just not him. He's, he, you know, he hasn't been going out and fighting. He's been helping in, in the hospital tent. I mean, it's a very noble thing for him to do. It to is. offer. But you think Achilles would have said, oh, everyone's going to be aiming at you. Yeah. Probably not the best idea. But... I guess because it's coming from pa- um, Patroclus, who he, li- mm. who he listens to, yes. then he can't. He goes along with it. Also, he, it's a it's a good solution for him, you know. And he is a bit obsessed, as we said. This is kind of his Achilles heel. Um, well, that's that's the one bit I really okay. liked. When, uh, <laughs> that's not mentioned at all, is it? No, no. It's just it's literally one one little mention of it where. They're on um, the walls of Troy, it's aren't Paris they? Paris aiming at him yeah. with the with the poisoned arrow, and uh, Apollo on his shoulder, sort of thing. And he says, um, "Oh, I, I heard he was um, invulnerable, all except for." And then Apollo just cuts him off and says, "Yeah, to shoot him." No, he's immortal. He'll die yeah. if you shoot him, basically. Yeah, yeah which was quite funny. <laughs> I quite like that. That was good. Um, but yeah, so, you know, so he goes along with this plan. It's it's a way to save face, but also, you know, like in both senses, to keep, to keep mm. a, a good reputation, but also to to keep his promise at the same well, time. The way I read it was this. He's, he's told basically to stay in the chariot. Yeah. And they're going to kind of circle around for a yeah, bit he'll just kind of to show his face a bit. yeah people will think he's there and then it will give the men hope but without putting patroclus in any and danger he's then knocked out of the chariots but they but get not, back not in. before he's actually got stuck into the fighting mm. so the way i kind of read it was he's he he kind of does what he's told but then as soon as he's in he's in the battle the bloodlust or the his, yeah. his his idea he wants to show that he's capable and ultimately see i don't think it is that i don't think he does want to show that he's capable well, there's a moment where he I starts think, climbing the the walls yeah because suddenly he's he's realized that he is capable i don't i don't think until that point he knows that he is capable mm. of, of this that you know he's he's there and he thinks Oh, let's let's just try. Let's just try yeah. it, kind of thing. When he's in the chariot and he strikes, you know, he throws the javelin and it does hit someone. Mm. It does hit, kill somebody, and he thinks, "Oh, I might be able to actually do this." And he does a bit more, and he does a bit more, and he does a bit more. Well, that's what I mean. If you know, if he just stuck in the chariot, then well, yes, except that I think that's finally the moment where he realizes well, that's, that's what Achilles sees in yes, him. That's his moment. That I think all this time. He's put himself... I think this is... Oh, I'm getting a bit emotional just thinking about it now. All all that time, he thought he was crap, didn't he? Mm. He just put himself down at every opportunity. He just saw himself as, you know, the sort of third rate, you know, not worth anyone's time. He was just doing his best, mm. but so on. And yet, actually, he can be a hero as well. Suddenly, he is Robin to Achilles' Batman. More no, no, well, that's no. I think he's so. there on his own. No, but without I mean, Achilles, no, what I mean he doesn't. He can he actually do it himself. That whole time they could have been. Like, no, I think that whole time other. they were, but he didn't know it. He didn't realize it. Yeah, and he suddenly that's realizes what I mean. he's not just. He's he not, can do something for himself. He's he not someone who stays behind. To, he could have been exactly. out there next to him. Yeah, but no, but no, that's what I mean. He was out there next to him, but he didn't realize what he was doing. Yeah. 
he didn't realize he was contributing anything and he didn't see his own role in what was happening whereas actually the whole time that achilles has been doing anything he's been there supporting him the whole time hasn't he yes so actually he has played a role and for the first time he's actually out there on his own and he suddenly realizes that he is capable of something and suddenly he thinks come on we can do it we can do it and he's so caught up in what he's doing it is like this kind of temporary insanity and he's so desperate to try to end it and he's also thinking that you know he's also this idea that achilles might survive you know this kind of mad idea if we can end the war and achilles won't have to die in the fighting and so Mm. on and you know he's all he'd he'd seen the walls the first time he saw them he saw them as indestructible no one could ever and so you know and he it's like his ultimate realization of the fact that he can do something and if it wasn't for apollo on the walls picking him up and dropping him to the floor Mm. he would have managed it and so he is so capable that he could have climbed his way into troy but the gods won't let him because that's not the plan for him so obviously it's patroclus's death which sparks the rage of Achilles and, uh, you know, Achilles grief and, and the way he then kind of acts out. And we've got this, that, that section narrated by Patroclus as his, his spirit is waiting to kind of pass over. But I mean, what, what did you think of the way that that's dealt with? Well, I knew of his, of his rage. That's part of the reason why Madeline Miller became interested in Patroclus is why did his death suddenly cause this sudden outburst? But, I don't know. I kind of had a very mixed, very mixed reaction to it. I think suddenly then Achilles perhaps does show his age slightly just from the way he reacts. Um, he kills Hector and sort of parades his body around. Mm-hmm. Um, and the tradition then was, was to cremate the bodies. So it's not until the, the king of Troy, Priam, comes and asks him, mm-hmm. can I have my son's body back? And at that point I was like, oh, I'm not sure if he would, not sure if he didn't. Because he's still got um, Patroclus' body mm-hmm. sort of lying around probably getting a bit smelly in the heat so i was a bit surprised i mean once he's killed hector that's because that's the prophecy once hector died that's yeah. gonna be the end of achilles yeah so i don't know what did you, what did you think of that i actually thought it was really moving i i you know this is the bit that i obviously knew what was going to happen in advance and i think it just it shows the depth of his grief. And I, you know, I always found this so moving anyway, just incredibly sad that he's, he's, you know, he's really just out of his mind. That was, I think that was partly it for me because I think beforehand he was always very, he thought about things, but this time I didn't know how he was going to react in certain situations. No, and I mean, he's, he's, he's comes across, he's sort of such a light character and he's very Mm. lighthearted and he doesn't spend a lot of time pondering things. You know, he's not kind of a deep thinker, is he? No. And then suddenly it's like, you know, it sort of flips a switch, doesn't it? He's, you know, he's completely bereft without... He becomes a bit of a loose cannon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he's standing out at, at the end after he's killed Hector and, you know, so and he's standing out there and he doesn't even bother wearing any armour anymore. Mm. He just doesn't care. And I suppose this is the idea about the invulnerability that uh, actually it's not that he's invulnerable. That's not why he isn't wearing his armour. It's because he'd be happy to die. He, there's no point carrying on on his own without his companion. I just... Oh, that I was just quite moving. Desperately sad. But I think it's once he's killed Hector and... Priam's request is quite a reasonable mm. one. Can yeah, I, can definitely. I bury my son? And I wasn't 100% sure he was going to say yes mm. because of the grief. Yeah, and I suppose it's just, 
you know, he's so stricken, so, you know, filled with rage that killing Hector isn't enough. He mm. can't, you know, it's, you know, he wants to prevent his soul from being able to pass. You know, he's, it's, it's incredibly disrespectful what he does. It's, you know, it's a appalling behavior mm. by, ancient greek standards no you know no one would dream of treating an enemy's body like this particularly not the the prince of troy you know so it's it's really disgusting but i suppose the the point of it is i guess just to show you the the depth of emotion that he sunk to so you know i i did know you know i knew what was coming i knew what was going to happen but i think the way it's described is done so well and that it, you know, it is sort of described like this, you know, part of his soul is still kind of lingering in his body and, you know, how Achilles wraps him up to, to smother the smell. He still, he can't bear to be parted from him, that he he lies on his bed holding him. It's mm. just, God, it's just heartbreaking. It really is. And, you know, even sort of me describing that now, if you haven't read it, it isn't a spoiler because the way in which it's written is so mm. moving. Oh, yeah. It really is. I, you know, I thought it was fantastically done. No, I mean, it, it does make you think about Achilles. It does give you a completely different view of him again. Uh, you know, not, not the, the playful youth or the, the sort of arrogant young man. And now actually it shows you just how much he did care about Patroclus, even if perhaps he didn't articulate it before. Well, when I finished it, I certainly wanted to read more. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad to hear that she's writing another book about Odysseus this time. Yeah, well, it's a, she's certainly thinking about yeah. doing that anyway, isn't she? But I mean, my, my only comment at the start was I found it a very easy read. I, I guess it's literally because it won the Orange Prize. I thought of perhaps it might be a little bit more challenging. Oh, but yeah, I kind of thought that as well, to be honest. It wasn't, the style wasn't quite what I was expecting. It was, it no. was really accessible. I thought it was going to be almost more archaic in, yes, in the way it, that it well, was. I knew written. she was a scholar as well. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's an achievement for her because she has sort of made this accessible for anyone to read mm, definitely i'd recommend this to everyone yeah no me too i i really i really enjoyed it i thought it was great i definitely recommend it and if she does write write the book about odysseus then i'd i'd be very interested to read that as well so you recommend that i should read the tony robinson uh, to be honest yeah i think it's it's very funny i mean it is it is designed for for young people to read but it's very well done it's actually very accurate to the Iliad and the Odyssey and it's it's very funny and it's very moving at times I do think it's very good I don't know if it, I mean I assume you can still get it somewhere somehow um you know and if if anyone wants to to read a a, a quick but very funny and moving a, a version then yeah it's definitely up there I mean as I, I think I mentioned before um, like the Percy Jackson stories that's mm. you know they they're generally sort of based on Greek myths and legends and it brings in the the kind of Roman versions of the same idea and that that's quite that's quite fun um you know if you if you read young adult that's quite hmm. amusing I like those stories but then you know I suppose if you want the more pure retellings um Roger Lancelin Green is still the best version I think I mean those are those must be quite old now but they're still very popular and I think you can get like a, a sort of penguin edition um, but yeah, if anyone just generally would like to read the stories as opposed to the whole text in translation, which you can obviously get very good versions of, then yeah, Roger Lancelin Green, big recommendation. Okay, so 
big thumbs up from us uh, for Song of Achilles and we hope that you if you haven't already read it that you will do um, if you have read it whether you agree or disagree please do get in touch and, and let us know I'll give you the details in a minute uh, we're going to do uh, our own book group read which will be The Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Zafon uh, we're going to be uh, taking a trip to Barcelona so we might uh, sort of think of some literary highlights while we're there and if you've got any Barcelona related uh, things uh, to read as uh, sort of recommendations for us please let us know it's be very interesting to read something and then be in the same city uh, and then the next book plate books will be uh, wolf hall as well that's quite a long one so it'll give you plenty of advance notice that'll be in february if you do want to get in touch with us um you can do it in the usual ways uh, we're on twitter at word adventures you can like and then comment on our page on facebook you can email us contact at adventureswithwords.com uh, you can go to our website at that same address and you can also uh, visit our book group on goodreads as well i've been rob i'm kate and thanks for listening adventures with words is brought to you by audible try audible free for 30 days and download any audiobook for free for your free trial, go to www.adventureswithwords.com forward slash audible.